Turn with me in your Bibles to uh, um, the third epistle of John, and uh, we're going to be jumping around a lot to, tonight. Whenever I fill in for Scott, it's always tough, to, you know, because a lot of times I just want to pick up where he left off or something like that, but that would be wrong. You can't do that, you know, because you, you know, uh, that's where Pastor Scott's at, and, um, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't, of course, um, I'm not able to go through sometimes a full book with you guys, though at times me and Pastor Dave ha- have challenged ourselves to try to go through whole books with you guys when Pastor Scott's out, so we'll go through different uh, small prophets with you guys. But today we're actually going to deal with an issue that's near and dear to my heart, and it's near and dear to the ministry, one of the ministries I uh, am the administrator for, and obviously that's Running Light Ministries, dealing with sexual immorality and helping people break free from sexual bondages in their life, and the topic we're going to talk about tonight is called confession, and, and we're not going to set up Pastor Dave in a confessional or anything like that, so don't worry about it, we're not doing anything weird like that tonight, uh, though I thought that would be kind of cool when we were talking about it earlier. No, I'm just joking, but I hope, I hope really my heart um, is to take a subject that in my 23 years as a Christian is seen so much in a negative um, as confession is and really flip it and help you guys see um, how God glorifying it is and the positive um, aspect of confession. Um, and when John was old writing He says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. This is an old man talking, and he says there's no greater joy than I have is to hear that you guys are walking in truth. You're not just declaring truth. You're not just saying things that are true. But you're actually walking in truth. This is what Christ has come to do. He's, he's come to move us from falsehood into a life of truth. And we see this in the book of Second Thessalonians, if you turn with me there. I'll read chapter 2, verse 13. It says there, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification, setting apart by the spirit and belief in the truth. That is the gospel. The good news cannot be separate from the move towards falsehood into a life of walking in truth. Not just declaring true statements, right? Because Satan declares statements that are true. But it's actually what really is the work of the born-again believer, or God in the born-again believer, is a work of sanctification of the Spirit of God in our lives, which moves us. It's a belief in the truth. So we're moving towards truth. And, and this shouldn't surprise us if you go through the Gospels, and especially in the book of John, if we looked at like John 16, if you flipped. If you notice, we're starting at the back and we're going more towards, we're going the other, other direction. But if you go to John 16, It says about the the Holy Spirit, Jesus telling us in verse 13, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. So that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. It is not just a declaration of true statements, one plus plus one equal two, etc., etc. Jesus is the Son of God, etc. But it is a transformation through the work of the Holy Spirit walking in truth, which this world so desperately needs to see 
truth. And one of the real proofs of a life that's walking in truth is confession. And so we're going to kind of touch that topic tonight. I want to first start off by reading two psalms with you guys. We're going to go over the Psalms of David, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. So we're going to turn over there. And as you guys turn over into that direction, I want you guys to think just for a minute about your thoughts on confession. God gives us the spirit of truth. That's the born-again experience. Um, There's no greater joy for the Christian to see other people walking in truth um, we, I, I read in the psalm, especially Psalm 119, if you've ever read that psalm, it says, Make me walk in the path of your commandments. Meaning David says, let me walk in your truth. Let me walk in this, God. You know, give me the ability to walk in your truth. But then he tags on something that's really important. He says, for I delight in it. And I want you guys to grab this when we go through this study. And we're going to start with Psalm 32, and we'll get into 51. But it's not just a, it's not just a activity of confession, or even desiring to confess, but it is actually a delighting in it. There is something that God, that glorifies God in the act of confession in our life. And it's not just saying something, it's not just saying you know, uh, saying something that we did wrong. But it's, it's really a move in delighting in it because we're moving in truth. And if I'm moving in truth, I'm moving in my betterment in Christ. It's, for, it's a good thing. It's for my betterment. And if it's for my betterment, I delight in it. It's something that I have joy in it. Now, I, I, I say that, I preface what I want you guys to think of because that kind of flies in the face with a lot of what I've always thought about confession. Whenever someone has said, hey, confess your sins, I've always kind of been like, (gasps) like, whoa, that's heavy. You know, I've never thought of it as really an exciting thing, as a real joyful thing that, hey, I want to walk in your past, God. I delight in it, man. You know, I'm really into it. I'm so into it. I mean, I'm really into it. You know, we just don't think of it like that, do we? We think of it more like, you know, God, I got to go confess. I mean, I got to draw closer to God in truth. It's something I got to do, so I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go talk to the pastor right now, you know. And it's kind of like a bummer. And I don't know how, how glorifying to the Lord that is. You know, I would hope my, I hope my kids delight in their dad. I hope, they, I hope they delight in me so much that when they do something wrong, they actually want to approach me. Not because they have to. So how do you guys see confession? How do you look at it? And really the question is, is, is it really a biblical view? you know, of confession. The word confession um, simply means, you know, obviously to confess. There it is. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you got that? That was hard, huh? That was really difficult. No, but it basically means to say the same thing about something that really God says, meaning uh, to, to basically say um, or to admit or to make a declaration of admittance of something, um, those are pro- that's probably the main definitions of the word confess. Now, if we look at Psalm 32, it starts off right off the bat. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity or sin, in whose spirit there is no deceit, When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. 
my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround, surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, one quick question. Was David upright in heart? It's a tough, tough one, huh? Because <laughs> you know if you say, sure, if you say, yeah, he is, then you go, oh, man, dude, well, the upright is a guy who murders and commits a lot of adultery. So a guy who has a lot of sex and a guy who murders, that's the upright. So then you're in a quandary there, right? But what makes David upright before God is he confesses to the Lord. Is he says, the first thing he says is happy. That's the first word he uses in this confessional psalm. And then he says it in verse 2, happy again. Happy is he whose transgressions are forgiven. And boy, did he have some. Happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute this sin, meaning does not charge it to his account, meaning his bank account is just building up with this sin. So happy is that person. And then at the very end of the psalm, he says, be glad and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. David seems to equate confession with something that is positive, that is something that is God-glorifying, that is something for his betterment. And he sees it that way. And if we turn now to the other psalm I wanted you to look at, Psalm 51, See, I don't think we'll ever really understand or move in confession, really the grace of confession, because it is a move of the Spirit of God in truth. But we won't move in that direction if we don't see it as part of our joy in Christ. See, if I don't see it as part of my joy, meaning that is my joy in Christ, is to to confess my sin, and we're going to see why pretty soon. But then it's really going to be difficult. And then we get to that place where we go, really, I don't, you know, I blew it with this person, I blew it with that person, but I don't really need to confess anything to them. You know, I'll just, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't. Confession's just kind of like a lost art. It's just something that doesn't happen anymore. Oh, they, they know I didn't really mean that. But if you don't, if, if you don't see it as, as something that glorifies God and something that benefits you, you'll never move in that direction. You'll always try to stay away from it, settling for lesser pleasure than the greater pleasure that is found in it. Now, Psalm 51, it says here, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So we know the story behind that. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak. And blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. 
that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And do not cast away your presence from me, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, my, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would bring it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Sometimes I think we try to move away from a broken and contrite heart. Sometimes we do that through not allowing the the spirit of truth to really search our hearts on areas that we need to confess. Knowing that what David is getting at is that though my sin is great, Lord, I, I, I say it to you and I confess it to you so that I may be restored in your joy, that I may experience your joy. See, to, to not confess would be to forfeit the wonderful joy that God has for you. And, and I don't want that. I want to move in real joy not, not the joy that I've experienced in this world. Not the temporary joys that David experienced that never sufficed in his life. You know, has, um, and, and I kind of come out of this confession with a, with a thought in my mind too. And, you know, in Romans chapter 10, it tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And for those of you that are born-again believers in this room, there was no doubt that that was a move towards better joy in your life when that happened. When Romans 10 happened in your life, and you made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, man, out with the old, in with the new, you were excited as ever it was an incredible move in your life towards the pleasure that was in God. But then something happens as we walk in this Christian life where we tend to build up these calluses in our life and we tend to lose sight of the joy of confession and the joy of bringing our sins before God and laying it bare before the Lord and we tend to, to kind of act more uh, uh, in pretense before one another, in hypocrisy before one another, to, in a sense, put on a facade before each other. And then, and then over time of this happening, this pretense happening, then we tend to not, not think that it's a, it's a good thing to move in confession anymore. It, it becomes a sign of, of not a move towards betterment for your life, but it seems to be kind of a move towards, wow, you know, you'll want people to look at you and go, man, I can't believe you did that. What a, man, what a bummer. Or like, you know, gosh, you know, I don't want to sit by that guy. I mean, look what he's done. I mean, nowadays we live in a culture where you, you, you know, you can look up on internet service and find out who lives by you in case they sinned. Yeah. And if they sinned, heaven forbid, you can treat them different now. Isn't that great? Yeah, that's the world we live in. People are, have an asterisk by their name for the rest of their life. And it's all because of protection and safety and, and so that, you know, we don't want to live in any risk at all for the gospel's sake. No risk at all. And that's sad. Hopefully that burdens your heart just a little bit. For the gospel is risk. 
It is risk. And confession is risk for my joy. Now, how many of us have really had confession modeled for us? And I think some of the things I, I think of reasons why it's the way it is today in our, in our Christian culture, and I, I tend to think, why, what was, how many of us have really had this thing modeled for us in a, in a good way? You know, how many, how many, you know, how many of parents, you know, have you had some cool parents, you know, in your life that, that have just, you know, fallen on their feet before you crying and just going, man, I am sorry, son. I am sorry, daughter, for what I did. I mean, I truly have done the wrong thing. I am guilty. That doesn't happen in a lot of people's lives. How many, how many ministers have you been under that have conf- shown confession to you? Shown it to you? I struggle with money. I struggle with greed. I lusted this week. And I brought that to the Lord. That they lead in that positive move of God's spirit in truth. That they not only want, say, God, let me walk in your commandments, but I delight in it. I want to show it. I want to lead in it. And when I think of it that way, I go, you know, there, there's not, just not many examples of that. Sure, preachers can preach great sermons. We could all, anybody who is gifted in, and skilled in the word can preach a sermon on sin. And the effects of it and all that. But I don't do you guys a service to you if I don't show you. If I don't let you see transparency in my life. See, if you don't see betterment in confession in in me as one of your ministers, if you don't see the betterment of that in my own life, then how are you going to see that? How am I teaching you that? How are you seeing the joy, the move towards betterment in your own life in that way? See, if I hush-hush about it, then what makes you going to be like, yeah, well, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, really, he doesn't really confess his sin. He's kind of, you know, really, I never heard him confess his sin. You know, so maybe we don't have to confess. Maybe we just kind of just go to God. Hey, God, you know, God, you know my heart. Okay, great. You know, and that's it. David was an incredible leader. Wasn't he? Wow. When he biffed it, he biffed it. (laughs) And he biffed it publicly. (laughs) And when he repented and he confessed, he confessed publicly. You know, one of the things I love about the Tuesday night group that that I, I do here at the church um, which is about sexual immorality, is that there's no pretense. Anybody who walks that, through that door, there's no pretense. There's none. There's none in my life. There's nothing I need to, I, I don't need to live up to any standard for these people. You know, there's nothing there. There's no, they don't look at me any different than them or them than me. If I say to them, hey, it was a rough week this week, they don't go, oh, Pastor Bo had, had an inclination to sin? See, they, they understand that it's, tor- it's for our betterment. We're moving in betterment. So to not confess would be a move towards a lie and to walk not in truth. And that's why I enjoy that group so much. It's just, it's wonderful to walk out of those groups. And we've all had those before, right? Where you, you're in a small group, you're, in, you're with people, and you're able to just say anything, anything. And just lay it out. And no one's freaking out. But people are saying, praise God that you've confessed that. 
that you're moving towards betterment. And we're going to see the only way to do that is going to be a work of God. Now, I want to turn to a couple examples in the Old Testament. One of them is in Joshua chapter 7. The other one's going to be Daniel chapter 9. And these are kind of really opposing uh, examples, really. Joshua chapter 7 is one where the people of Israel have just taken Jericho. They're going into the promised land. And now they're going to take a, a little city named Ai, and they can't do it. And, uh, and we find out why. It's because of a man named Achan. And Achan and his, and his family have done what the Torah has strictly forbidden them to do, which was to take the spoils of the conquered city and, and hoard them for themselves. But that's exactly what they did. And uh, now in verse uh, 6 of chapter 7, we see Joshua the leader. He tears his clothes and he falls to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. And he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Now the reason why they're doing all these gyrations is because they fear that God is now, um, for some reason, not letting them actually enter into the promised land through the city of Ai. They, they think that God has uh, withdrew his favor from them. And at this point, Joshua has no clue about Achan's sin, okay? He has no idea about it. So he's kind of blind and oblivious to it. So what he does is because he's blind and oblivious to sin, he misunderstands what's happening and he starts to blame God. So he thinks if he does the gyrations, God will do something. And verse 7 says, And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. So he's, he's just bummed. It says, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Now, as I told you, the person who did this deceiving was this man, Achan. And it seems to be that his family is a part of this whole uh, deception of taking the forbidden items from the city of Ai that they were not supposed to take based off of the Torah. The, uh, the, in the book of, uh, I think it's in the book of uh, Deuteronomy it talks about that. Um, now, in verse 19 of this event, now Joshua says to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So he tells Achan, he says, Hey, give glory to God, make confession, do not Hide it. Now, I want you to see a couple things about this, uh, this situation. The first thing is that confession glorifies God. Joshua strictly says to Achan, give glory to the Lord. How is that to happen? Through confession. If your heart isn't moved to glorify God, Meaning if your heart isn't moved on the value of God in your life, confession isn't going to be that high of a priority. But if your heart is moved by the glory of God, meaning that is your aim, that is where your heart, that's the radar of your heart, man. It's, it's set like flint on God's glory. You want to see God's name honored in your life above all things that you think and do and everything, that God wants to be honored. He, you want him to be first. Then confession becomes something of, 
of valuing God, and this is, this is how it does it. This is how it did it in this event. Is that when Achan glorified God and confessed his sin, it vindicated God. See, what happens is if you don't confess and you don't see confession as a betterment, your betterment, your joy in Christ to move in, then what you've done is you deceive everyone. You might not think so, but you do. See, what happens is this, is you have sin. You have disobedience and things in your life that you are unwilling to confess to God and to people. And because of that, people do not know that this is an area of your life. They don't know about this sin. This is your sin. This is your thing. And so they see your life and you talk about God and you talk about Jesus and you talk about prayer and you talk about the Bible and you hallelujah and Jesus and he's my God. And, you know, and hey, when when the Holy Spirit's not working, what do Christians do? We just turn up the volume. We just crank it a little louder and get the spirit moving. And, and, And that's how we start thinking, right? Which is very distorted. But what this does is, see... See, what it does is it it shows my kids, my kids don't know about my sin because I haven't confessed to my kids. So my kids think that God is acting this way in my life when really they don't realize that God is acting this way in my life is because I got sin in the camp. And they don't know why God is doing what he's doing in my life because they don't know the full picture. See, the people of Israel were upset at God. Joshua was upset at God. The reason why is because they thought God was doing something that he wasn't, that God wasn't doing. But it's because Achan withheld to confess. He did not confess his sin. And therefore, Achan distorted God in other people's eyes. Do you get that? Achan distorted God. See, how many times have I distorted the name of God before my wife, before my kids? How many, t- how, how many times has my kids thought some way about God because I have allowed something in my life? And so now they have a distorted view of God. So they think God is this way because that's what mom and dad does or that's what you do and that's how you act and that's how you talk and that's how you behave. And, 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 but yet, you know, they, but yet you never have come to them and you've never said to them and just sat them down and just said, I want you to know that what I did when I swore to your cousin or when I swore to your grandmother that that was sin and how God disciplines me is a beautiful thing. It's good for me. As the Psalm 119 says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. God's affliction, his discipline on me because of my sin, son, daughter, is a good thing. It's for my betterment. It's to move me away from this stuff. But I want you to have a clear picture of God. Do you see how important that is? When I describe it like that, I hope you're out there and I hope, I hope you're not going like this. I hope you're not going, I don't know what that guy's talking about. <laughs> but I hope you're doing this. I hope you're going, whoa, I never thought of that. I hope you're going, whoa, that makes a lot of sense. How many times have I distorted the name of God through lack of confession in leading in confession in my home. Hopefully that's a convicting statement on your heart. So that's what I get out of Joshua chapter 7, which is heavy. It's deep. 
Confession glorifies God in that section because it vindicates God. It declares that God is clear of his judgment on Israel for not letting him go into the promised land. See, that's how it vindicates God. So when I confess, I clear God of wrongdoing to my son. This is not what God would do, son. This is not what God would do. God would not look at that filth. God would not look at that filth. And I did. That is vindicating God. See, it's because you want God to be seen as right. See, I want God to be seen as right. But if Christianity is about you, and it's about you having a great old happy life and living the way you want to live, then you ain't going to do it. You ain't going to see it that way. Now turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. This is a cool section. Um, or, I want to say cooler than what we just went through. <laughs> but, uh, but Daniel chapter 9 is neat because Daniel was a really neat guy. You know, Paul says in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I serve God in all purity as my forefathers have done. As I make mention of you, Timothy, in my prayers. Sometimes I just think, Paul, what are you talking about? You serve God in all purity as your forefathers did? Who? Can you name some of these people? (laughs) Purity? Forefathers? If you've ever read the Old Testament, man, it's a mess, right? I mean, we're going through it with Pastor Scott, right? I mean, these families, they got the D and dysfunctional, right, capitalized. I mean, they really know it well. I mean, everything is impure, everything. But Daniel's one of those guys, man, that just seemed to really be on it, man. This guy loved the Lord. But notice chapter 9. And now think of, think of this guy. He's in captivity, okay? Judgment came to Israel. God, with his mighty hand, brought the Babylonians in to take out the people of Israel, to put them into captivity, which is kind of a, a bummer if you were an Israelite. And then it says, uh, we'll get into uh, verse 3. It says, Then Daniel sets his face toward the Lord to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And he prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servant, the prophets, who spoke in your name to the kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face, as it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you." O Lord, to us belong shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse... uh, And the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And then I skip down to verse 14. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. The reason why I find this one really neat is that Daniel was a really good guy. I mean, he was a really righteous guy. There's nothing you read about Daniel and you just go, man, this guy's really not, you know, really walking with the Lord. 
But you notice when you read his confession, he always includes himself with all the people of Israel. He never once puts his eyes off of uh, his own part in the nation's sin. But he includes himself in it. And I want you to see this, the humility that's in this confession. I mean, there's no get out of jail. There's no little, you know, card that he's holding that says, well, you know, I was always a righteous guy and I was a kid when Babylon came in and, you know, it really wasn't me. It was my fathers and my forefathers that really sinned against you and didn't hear the prophets. And, you know, so, I mean, I I am an Israelite, so I guess you can, you know, reckon me with them, Lord. But, you know, man, they really blew it. You know, there's not that kind of attitude. There's this real humility about this man, that he just keeps including himself in the sins of Israel over and over. And it's all about God. God, we sinned against you. We, we all did this against you, our princes, our kings, everybody. We didn't listen to your prophets. We didn't heed your word. Blah, blah, blah. And this is cool because confession has to have a heart of humility in it. You can't confess and, and have godly confession if if there's no humility that's with that. You know, a true confession is one that truly realizes the depth of your own sin. You really, really, really know that you are a sinner in need of redeeming so bad. That there's no cockiness or hint of cockiness. And, and sometimes we have this spirit of cockiness that runs rampant within Christendom in our world. You know, where we, we, we pray for the president, we pray for the, the Congress, we pray for the House, but we rip them with the, in the same, I mean, I hear it all the time. I mean, we're ripping people all the time Politically. Where it's, it's them, us, it has nothing to do with maybe the way I am in my life. Right? Maybe I don't want to take responsibility for my own part in this. You know, but we just want to rip people all the time. Say, man, you know what? America's going to burn because of its pornography problem. It's going to burn because of it. That's right. It's going you know, to burn. But yeah, the church views porn no different from the, uh, the rest of the world. There's no difference in statistics. Same amount of people are viewing it in and out. So why don't, we, why don't we have a heart that's more like Daniel and just say, Lord, we have sinned. All of us are, are a part of this. All of us are playing a part in this. You know, and if you realized where your money is invested in, when you have a, your 401k plan, and I hate to burst your bubble, but when you have your Roth IRAs, and that money is being invested, when things are happening, and your money's getting invested in cell phone companies and blah, 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 you got to understand that the pornography industry is, believe me, man, it's making a lot of sales of cell phones in a lot of places in the world. And you know why? It's so people can view porn. So it might not be primarily, you know, you might not be, you know, you know, thinking, hey, I'm going to invest in pornography. But guess what? What if you knew your money was being invested in a company that was somewhat not righteous? Now, does that sound like a lot of companies? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? That sounds like a lot of companies, huh? You mean to tell me all the companies you invest in, you know every CEO of that company, you know what they're doing, you know everything about their lifestyles, you know that they're totally for the glory of God alone, him alone, that's it. I mean, you sit down with them at dinner, you know where they're at, you know their heart. No, right? It's floating all around. You get money, you get more money, you get a bigger house, you're pretty happy about that, aren't you? You're pretty stoked, right? System's great. System's working good. Dig it. But when it's not going good, system's not good. See, and we don't see the selfishness in that. I, I, I hope you guys see that, but we just don't see the selfishness in this. 
that we, everything's based on our own monetary gain or not gain. Instead of based on any kind of truth involved in this. And all I'm saying is that when we confess, there has to be a humility in it of just saying, man, Lord, you know, I mean, there is that unregenerate man out there who has no clue what he's doing. But Lord, forgive me. I'm your child. And Lord, I know there's so many things in my life that pull me and weigh me down and insecurities I have and struggles. Lord, forgive me for those things. Having honesty with it. Instead of just, you know, putting on your, our, our stations, you know, our favorite ones that have our bias and, and just kind of hearing the rhetoric over and over and over. And I don't know about you guys, but man, if I listen to too much, if I listen to too much, I have a, I have a heart filled with hate. I just have a heart filled with hate. I don't feel like doing Timothy. I don't feel like praying for my president. I don't feel like praying for people. I mean, I pray for my president, but then again, I curse my president. You know, and uh, I'll be held accountable for that. But it doesn't, it certainly, you know, da- Daniel seems to really indicate that it's for his betterment, that he, he, he's, he, he's glad to be able to confess to God these things. Now, in the New Testament, I just have two short examples of these things, and we could have, chose any of them, but I went to Dr. Luke, and um, I'll start with uh, chapter 18. This is a famous one, 18 verse 9, and here you see confession, but you see it not so lengthy as Daniel. Obviously, Daniel's is a very long prayer. But here it says uh, in verse 9, and he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and, he dis- and despised others. It says two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes to all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not even so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And here we see this humility in confession. True confession shows need. You cannot confess without showing need. The one man probably thought he was confessing, but really he wasn't. Uh, The tax collector, who was a a bona fide sinner, someone who was, you know, obviously known to be a sinner. This is a sinner. We know this guy was a robber, and and we're going to meet a guy like this in chapter 19 in a minute. But um, here he stands afar off. He has much shame in his life. And it says that he raises his eyes to the heaven. He beats his breast. And all he says is, God, be merciful. I mean, that's all he says here. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was honest. His confession was an honest one. He didn't beat around the bush at all. He just simply said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God heard him. And God heard that man. It was for that man's benefit and joy to be able to go broken before God and ashamed before God and to simply just barely probably even get out this phrase, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, why would God bless me in my life? Why would God do that? There's nothing deserving of God's blessing. Simply put, God had me in a place one day where I simply cried out to God. 
for his mercy. And that's all I could get out. Exalt your mercy. God, be merciful. I don't know you, but just be merciful on me. And God did a work. Now, you turn to Luke 19 and you see Zacchaeus. Confession needs to be honest. It shows that God is the one that we need. He's our deliverer and he's glorified as your deliverer. Now it says, uh, we know the story. Uh, Jesus goes to Jericho and he enters in there and Zacchaeus is up on the tree. And then in verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay in your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. So this is a known sinner. Now, and I think this man's unregenerate at this point. And this is why. We're going to see this in verse 9. Meaning he is not born again. He has gone, it says in verse 7, to be with the guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. Now notice this confession that Zacchaeus gives. So obviously at this point, the Spirit of God is moving in this man's life. In verse 8. Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and I have ta- if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. This guy confesses his idolatry in verse 8 to Jesus. He looks at Jesus, he looks at his idolatry, he sees the betterment that's in Jesus, and he says, I want Jesus. So with joy, he gives up everything. He sells all to buy the land where the treasure's at. No, that's Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. (laughs) But doesn't it, it sound like that, doesn't it? This man with joy. Lord, teach me your paths. Teach me your ways, for I delight in it. I delight in it. Zacchaeus confesses his own sin of robbery before the Lord. And he doesn't do it bummingly, but he's glad he did it. He looks at his idolatry and what he's been doing, and he sees it as nothing compared to the joy of Christ. Man, is Jesus your delight? Is he, your, is he just your treasure of your heart? Do you just wait for him to come back? Do you, before you go to bed, do you just go, Lord, man, today. And when you get up, do you think of him and just go, man, you're my treasure today. If today I lose it all, Lord, I, I never lose you. I never lose you. Never. My heart and flesh may fail. And, and I might have a heart attack tomorrow. But you are the strength of my portion forever. He's our everything. And then in verse 9, we know that something happened to this man's life. It says, today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. Notice it says, today salvation has come to this house. So guess what? I take it to mean that salvation came to that house today, (laughs) to that day. I mean, that guy got saved through his confession and moved towards betterment. Seen in confession, we see that God was honored and glorified and salvation came to him. Now, I kind of spoke a little bit briefly about this, but I want to ask you guys a question, and that is, do you find now that you're leading in confession in your environment that you live in? Is that something now that you you see maybe there's a lack in your life? You go, you know what? I I really never thought about leading my kids in in confession, meaning I want to show my kids all areas of the wonderful grace and move of the spirit of truth in my life. So, you know, I, I ask you that question. Now, do you, do you see that there's a need for you to be examples of godly confession to people in your home? See, people won't understand God correctly if you don't do it. But you won't do it if you don't see that it glorifies God and it vindicates God and you're concerned about his name, and, and that it's your actual joy, that it's for your betterment. And why would you not want to do something for your betterment? 
You know, if the remedy's right there and it's for your betterment and your kids' betterment, and how many of us just simply needed from our families a little, I'm sorry? How many of us needed from, from our, our mother or our father just a simple, you know what, I blew it. When I beat your mom, when I got drunk, that was wrong. When I left you and went to jail, that was wrong. When I married another man because I was afraid to just take care of you two boys, so I needed another person in my life, um, and I really chose him over you guys, that was wrong. A lot of us never get that. Some of us do. And believe me, just getting a little bit of it doesn't not bless us, right? Just to know that it wasn't your fault as a kid or as a teenager, that it wasn't you. So think about that. Think about leading. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to just a couple verses just to help you see a couple other places where confession spoke about, and then I'm going to wrap up because it's late and you guys are tired. You need to get up and stretch. You can. It's fine. You ain't going to bug me. Um, John chapter 3, verse 21. I want you guys to see this. This is the famous, uh, obviously close to John 3, 16 section. And, uh, but it says there, but he who does the truth comes into the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So confession is really someone who does the truth. They come into the light. They move away from darkness that your deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Never despise, and this is what I get from this passage, never despise someone's confession to you. This is where we've gone very off in so many ways. Because we despise it, because we don't see it as a betterment, when someone confesses to us, we don't go, praise God. Man, that's beautiful. Because it says here that they have been done in God. See, some who, someone who does the truth comes into the light. They get out of the darkness. They go into the light. That his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. See, it's a work of God. If someone comes and says, hey, you know what? I, I need to confess something to you. I struggle. I, I, I'm taking money from this organization or, you know, I'm viewing pornography. You know, if you don't see it in, in that it is something that this is now a work of God that's going on in this person's life to come out of the darkness and into the light, if you don't see it that way, you're going to look at him and you're going to go, you're going to go, oh my gosh, that's horrible. That's going to be the first thing out of your mouth. That is horrible. Now, what does that do to the person who just confessed? He's going to feel, they're going to go, my, I should have never done this. I should have ne- this wasn't for my betterment. This wasn't for my joy. It wasn't for my better one. It wasn't for the glory of God. This person's just upset at me now. It's just a big drag. Just a big bummer. You know, but, you know, when there was a time where my teenage son came to me and Sylvia and he confessed a sin to, to me that just broke me. Oh, just snapped me in half. 16-year-old son comes to me. He hasn't lived even close to a life like me and Sylvia did as far as debauchery in Southern California. He's a very good kid. But man, he did some things and he went in a direction that no matter how much I have spoken on this topic, no matter how much I have preached sermons after sermons, camps after camps, over 16, 17 years, his whole life, I was not prepared to hear it. And he laid it out, and man, I just, I was like stunned. I was, I was stunned. My heart was heavy. I didn't even know what to say, and me being speechless, that's pretty radical, <laughs> you know. And my wife, she knew, ex- she knew, she knew the scripture so well in her heart, she knew it. So she didn't just know truth, but she knew the spirit of truth rested in her. And, and she just went, you know what? We love you. You know, we love you. Thank you. It was just the right on thing to say. 
My brain was thinking all kinds of things. I was like, oh, God, I'm a pastor. What are people going to think? Oh, no, oh, no, you know, fear, 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 fear. No move towards joy, no move towards truth. And yet to see my wife lead in that area, and then it just made me think, oh, yeah, Lord, this is, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. See, it's a good thing confession is. When your husband comes to you and says, honey, I struggle with pornography. That is a good thing of the confession of it. The sin's not good, but the confession is a good thing. And if you don't see that right, you are just going to hammer that person. Yeah, you're hurt. Yeah, I, I understand that we hurt each other. But that's why he's moving into the light. He's moving in a way towards his betterment and your betterment. He's bringing it. So you don't take that person who's moving in, his, in that joy of Christ. He wants Christ. He wants to move in truth. And you destroy it. You quench it. You put f- water on it. He who does the truth comes into the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. That is a work of God. Praise God for the confession, man. God is working in you. If you don't have God working in your life, why would you confess? You wouldn't. Just keep doing it. Now, Romans chapter 13, this just tells us about confession. And it, it kind of, it's really elusive. If you just read over this, you're going to miss it. Uh, chapter 13, 13, or actually 13, 12. It says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So light is seen as armor in your life, in your Christian life. Light, moving in light, in confession, is seen as armor. It is your protection, man. So you want to move in there. You want to do it. You want to confess. That is your strength. See, I'm trying to flip it on the positive because Satan wants to keep it a negative for you guys. James 5.19, you guys love this passage. I know you guys do. This is the one where we all freak out on. And this simply says what? Confess your trespasses to one another. Confess your sin to one another. You know, it's, it, it's good to confess to God. I'm not, I'm not, don't get me wrong. But the brother of Jesus tells us to confess to one another. So that's another thing that we're supposed to do. 1 John 1, 9 is another famous one. And you guys probably know this one by heart. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is a continual move of grace, this confession. It isn't just a one-shot deal. It is a continual daily move of God's grace moving us in truth to his glory for our betterment. I wrote down these four things and then I'll pray. Truthful confession tears down hypocrisy and pretense, meaning trying to be something you're not. That's what confession does, especially to people. In my, in my Tuesday night group, it's hard for me to puff myself up too much when we're talking about porn. <laughs> And we're all there because of porn. So it tears down hypocrisy and pretense, which immobilizes the church. Pretense, hypocrisy will stunt the move of a church. If we are moving, not just verbally, but in our lives in truthful confession. Again, confession vindicates God, it clears God of any any wrongdoing, and it shows others that you're the problem. Shows everybody that you're the problem. That hurts us a little bit. 
Because confession, fourthly, tears down pride. We want to be seen as strong ministers. Americans, we want to be seen as strong, but yet God wants us to be weak. For it is in our weakness that he is strong. See, we got it backwards. He wants us to be weak. He wants us to show our weakness. This is my struggle, God. I need you to deliver me. Because it shows our need for him. He wants us to be weak. And lastly, confession stifles habitual sin. Sin thrives in secrecy and in darkness. And if you want to be rid of that habitual behavior, then confess it and bring it into the light. Every day when you sin, you bring it right into the light immediately. You don't need to spend two days feeling sorry and God will finally forgive you. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your your word. We thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces our hearts, Lord. Uh, Father, may your spirit of truth reign in our lives. Uh, Father, forgive our hearts. Forgive us for so many areas of our life, Lord. I know we all have to take inventory and really think through our lives and think through how we look at uh, the betterment of uh, confessing and, and the joy of it, Lord, that you would receive glory and honor and that your name would be praised in this land. And so, Father, we pray that this tonight would be a night where just before we go to bed, we would allow your spirit to search our hearts. Lord, may your church be blessed, Lord. May your grace just empower us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.